Are you ready for God's Word? Amen. I am glad you're ready because today we have a lot to cover, and I've jam-packed this message full of God's Word. And I just want you to, I just want you to hang on the God's Word. Um, what I have to say today is not nearly as important as His Word. And so I'm going to read His Word over you. And uh, I think it's powerful, it's life-changing, and it's perfect for every circumstance that unfolds in our lives. Today we're going to talk about humble confidence. Humble confidence. This is the last point from our 21 points of winning with a family, of having a next-level family. We covered 21 points, and I told you that I was going to give an entire message to the last point, and that is humble confidence. I want you to think about this with me for a second. To be humble is to have a proper perspective of who you are. To have confidence is to walk in faith. And so when you have a, when you have a humble perspective of who you are, then you're better able to understand who God is. And you don't get it twisted. Because when we know that we're not God and that he is amazing, supreme, and just, and true, and all-powerful, then we can put our confidence in him. And when we put our confidence in him, then we can walk in confidence ourselves. Amen? And so we have a lot to be confident of, but we also have a lot to be humble for. See, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11, the Bible tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What God are we talking about here? We're talking about the true and only God, Jehovah Yahweh, that reveals himself as three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What a beautiful statement. You know what? This, this, brings, this brings me to a place of humility. To think that, God, you would love me even though I've been so unfaithful, even though I don't deserve it, even though uh, you could, you, you have plenty of reasons not to give me your very best, yet you choose to give me a good hope, a good future, a good plan, because you love me, and therefore I can have confidence that your love is true. You know, the Bible says that uh, humility is so important. And through the ages, every great man of faith, woman of faith, has understood how important it is. And today I want us to understand again and recommit to walking in humility because this world needs it. In fact, I love what uh, A.W. Tozer said. Um, he said, for the Christian, humility is absolutely indispensable. Isn't that true? You cannot be a Christian without humility. Without it, there can be no self-knowledge. I want you to think about that with me for a second. Self-knowledge is so important, and I think it's lacking today. It's like we, uh, society has lost the ability to self-reflect and really get an understanding and idea of who we really are. I think there is too much self-importance today. And we don't truly understand who we are. And the Bible tells us openly in the book of, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, 
Chapter 12, verse 3. Now, I want to to give you a context. The Bible says in in verse 1, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? That you live holy, pleasing to the Lord. This is the least you can do in light of God's mercy. Then in verse 2, he says, be not conformed to the pattern of this world. That means, you know what? Any old dead fish can float downstream. Isn't that true? No, you're supposed to go upstream. You've got to be different. He says, don't be like the rest of the world. Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then in verse 3, he says, and don't think of yourself higher than you ought to. That's where that self-knowledge becomes so important that, that Pastor Tozer is talking about here. And he says, because without it, without humility, there can be no repentance. See, and if you don't have self-knowledge, then you don't realize you need a Savior. And so there can be no repentance, no faith, no salvation. It is essential to Christianity, humility is. And so today I'm going to talk to you about three different uh, points, and I'm going to use four individuals to do it. The first point will be under Moses. And Moses will highlight to us how important humility is in building great character. And character is all about humility, real character. Then we're going to talk about Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb shows us that humility is not weakness. In fact, it's meekness and it's strength. It's strength. And then ultimately, the Apostle Paul shows us that humility leads to fearless commitment. Fearless commitment. Are you ready? So the... Etymological root of the word humility comes from the Latin. And the Latin word, a root that it comes from is humus, H-U-M-U-S, or hummus. And it means literally uh, from the earth or from the ground. So you say, well, pastor, that's the same thing we get humanity from, that God formed us from the ground. And so some theologians have said, you know, it means that we should walk with our face downward, or we should bow low. And, and inevitably, if you're a Christian, we've all come to that point where in our Christian walk, we feel a need to bow low before the King of glory. Come on, anyone ever experienced that bowing low before the awesome splendor and majesty of a great, of a great King? But can I tell you something else? It is impossible to go ye therefore and make disciples with your face in the dirt. Instead, what I believe uh, the root is, is pointing us towards is a humility of heart and spirit. Because I know, I've known people, and I know that I've been guilty of this too, that it's one thing to bow low with my face and to, and to stand like a little peacock with my heart. Isn't that true? Anyone can show humility on the outside, but on the inside be displaying the peacock feathers. And so what I believe the root is saying is that we should have a self-knowledge of who we are. That means that we are human because after all, isn't that the chief sin that, uh, that, that, that Satan posed to Eve? I can show you how to be more than who you are. I can show you how to be like God. And it still stands true today that Satan is peddling that same 
tired little uh, temptation around the world, but because it's so effective, he continues. It's so effective for people to say, well, you know what? Maybe I can be more than just a simple human. Maybe I can take more responsibility. Maybe I can rely on myself more. And you know, pride was his downfall, and he wants it to be yours. He wants it to be yours. And so the Bible tells us that as we get closer to Christ's return, you say, Pastor, why do you always bring something back to Christ's return? Because church, if you haven't noticed, God has given me a mandate to prepare his people for his coming. He's coming back. And if you have eyes to see, it's all around us. It's all around us. And instead of me saying, guys, get ready, I'm going, guys, get ready. Because it's the most exciting news you could ever hear. Look, I don't want you to be nervous about Christ coming back. The only one that should be nervous is the one that hasn't given their lives completely to him. But you know, the good news is you can do that right now. But you've got to humble yourself. So this message is perfect timing. Even that, God brought you here so that he could speak to your heart and say, humble your heart. Don't be proud in his presence saying, well, I don't need God. I don't believe God. I want to challenge you to something. I want to challenge you to go before the creator and say, Lord, I want to receive you and I want to humble myself. And for the next year, Lord, I want to enter into a relationship with you. And I promise you'll never go back. I promise you'll never go back. Well, that means I have to actually try it, though. Yeah. Try it, amen? Give it a shot. You'll be surprised. There is something that, that the Apostle Paul tells us about pride in the last days. I want to take you to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verse 1. The Bible says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. Now, I want you to highlight a couple of things about these perilous times. For men, that means mankind will be lovers of them. See, because some of the ladies were going, yep, I, the men are definitely doing that. No, that's mankind. Will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Now I want you to drop down to the end of verse 4, and they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He gives three indications. They'll love money, love themselves, and love pleasure. Do you see that when you open up social media? And you know what I find interesting? I believe the Lord has allowed social media to come to be in this particular age because he wants to highlight his word to you. And it's right there if you only look. Every time I open up social media, whatever it is, whether it be the shorts, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Facebook, whether it be uh, uh, YouTube, whether it be any of the different platforms where people are posting different things, it's all about me, myself, and I, and they're talking about this and that, and they're bragging about this, and they're bragging about that, and some of them show some pretty cool things. I get it, like that, that parkour, what is that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I saying it right? Parkour? Is that, uh, say it again, Mill. Okay, what he said. <laughs> That's amazing. Some of these guys, I mean, they must not value their life very much because they're jumping across buildings and doing all kinds of nonsense, but that's pretty cool. But, but it's, it just highlights to me, not particularly those guys, but it highlights to me all over social media that God's word is true, that there is a, a, a boasting going on in our society. 
There is a pride happening in our society. And do you realize realize that pride always leads to blasphemy? Why does it lead to blasphemy? Because to be proud is to put the onus on you rather than God. And as soon as that happens, there's a separation. As soon as pride pride was found in Satan's heart, he fell like lightning because God cannot handle it. In fact, the Bible says there are six things he hates and seven is an abomination. In that passage, it literally states that he hates a proud look. That's how, that's how, uh, um, that's how detestable pride is to God. He doesn't even wait for it to be completely full grown. He even hates the look. And pride creates separation between us and God. And whenever there's separation between us and God, we will rely on ourselves instead of him. And we take the glory from him and put it on ourselves. And that's blasphemy. But you know what's interesting? That, um, you know, a proud look can get you in trouble, not only with God, but with the world. I can remember growing up in my old neighborhood and everybody had a swag that they worked on. I can't do it right now because this knee's kind of a little gimpy, but um, I can tell you what, that people, I I can remember one of my friends said, you want to know why you get in so much trouble? He said, because of that stupid walk of yours. And he was one of my Baylor friends because we would go out and we'd have a good time. And then all of a sudden people would start picking on me and he's like, dude, I can't go out with you. And I go, well, I'm not doing anything. He says, you're doing it all with your walk. Because you walk into the room like, who wants some? Can I tell you, you can't walk into God's house saying, you want some, God? Who wants some? God say, not in my house, not in my presence. I need humility. Humility is what God honors. Humility is what he values. Humility, and it should show in your walk, in your heart, in your life, in in the way you live. Because in the end, there are going to be those who are going to be proud. And we see that today. It's all around us. There's such a pride, and it stinks before the Lord. In fact, this pride will lead us to have a form of godliness, but it'll deny the power because there is no power where pride is. There is no power because God walks away. So let's talk about Moses real quick. Are you ready? Are you ready? We're going to highlight Moses' character. Do you know that the Bible says there was no one as humble as Moses? You know what I find interesting? Is there is no greater sign. There is no greater sign, according to William Law. He says, you can have no greater sign of confirmed pride that when you think you are humble enough. You know, it's interesting because Moses never thought of himself as humble. God thought of him that way. In fact, the Bible says in in Numbers 12, 3, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. You know, it's one thing to call yourself humble. It's another thing to have God call you humble. Amen? Amen. And so God says he was humble. And so there's a very interesting story. Moses has just brought the people out of Egypt. Now, I want you to think about what happens while he's bringing the people out of Egypt. The Bible says that he is a sheep herder prior to God calling him. He's been a sheep herder because he was exiled out of Egypt. He was excommunicated. He was was sent packing. 
and he ends up for 40 years caring for his father-in-law's flocks. And he has flocks now, and that's what he is. He's a shepherd, okay? God calls him through the burning bush, and in that, in that moment, God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Now, who is Pharaoh? Pharaoh is the, the, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time because, because Egypt has become a, a superpower worldwide. One of the reasons they became a superpower is because of Joseph, the promised son that God sent into slavery. And through Joseph being in Egypt, they became super wealthy, super wealthy. You can read the story. But, but they are super, they are a super, super, super power. And this is what God says to, to Moses. I'm going to send you to this man. Everyone thinks he's a God and he thinks he's a God. I don't, go, I, don't want to, I don't have time to go into the history of the Egyptians and how they felt when their pharaohs became, uh, took the official capacity of being a pharaoh. They, they felt they became gods, okay? So I'm going to send you to this man that thinks he's a god, and I'm going to make you look like a god to him and to his people. Now, now think about this with me for a second. If you're humble, it's easy to be humble when you're a shepherd, it's a little harder to be humble when you go before a man who thinks he's a god, and now he looks at you like a god. And why does he look at you like a god? Because whatever you say goes. If you say, if you cast your, 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 your stick down on the ground, have it become a snake, it becomes a snake. He brings his very best magicians to come in and replicate the what they think is a trick, and your snake eats their snakes. And then you call all kinds of pestilence down, and whatever you proclaim happens, and everyone is, is in awe when you walk in the room. Now, I want you to think about that, because I want you to think about what could have happened in Moses' heart, and I want to ask you, what would have happened in your heart? If God says, now I want to meet with you, and he takes you up on the mountain, and you're hanging out with God, you're kicking it with God. Some of you are going, you're being too, too um, informal. Well, I don't know what, what he's doing on the mountain, but he's spending time with God. And he's receiving from the Lord. He's receiving the law from the Lord, but God's also sharing his heart. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says this. The Bible says in Exodus 32, verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. Now, I want you to, to think about this with me for a second. Your time with God has just been interrupted, and it's been interrupted with these words. Go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of a land of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now, how many of you have ever had, uh, I'm talking to the dads here. How many dads have ever had your wife said, your children? <laughs> or your son just did X, Y, and Z. And how many of you know that's not good? So you're spending time with, you're spending time with God. And then all of a sudden he says, your people who you brought out of Egypt. How many of you, time out, Lord, what now? I was tending sheep. But you know he's upset, so you don't say a word. You just stay quiet. And then the Lord says this, they have turned aside quickly. 
They turned aside quickly. Come on, how many of us are tempted to say, man, these, these Israelites, they are horrible. I'm sure glad I'm not that way. Can I tell you, when you read their story, you're reading your story because they represent what's, a tip, what's typical. They represent us. And we turn away quickly. And you say, but how could they have turned away so quickly? Because this is what happens when, you've, when, you're, when you're under stress and then all of a sudden you have freedom. All of a sudden that, fr- that, that stress is relieved. What do you feel in your heart? You feel like, man, I just want to let my hair down. I just want to relax a minute. I just, and that's when the enemy attacks. But notice what else he says to the, him. He says, they are a stiff-necked people. Go to verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have given this people, and indeed, no, I have seen, excuse me, I have seen this people, and indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. What does stiff-necked indicate? Not only stubborn, but you're proud. Because pride begets stubbornness. And this is where they're at. And, and so they, what do they do? They make for themselves a golden calf and they start to worship it. You know what's interesting? Because the Bible says that God has them grind up the gold and put it in the water and has them drink it. And um, it was the first time there was decaf. Uh, sorry, bad, 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 bad joke. Another dad joke. There you go. Um, <laughs> man, you guys are a tough audience. Let's keep going. So this is what God says to Moses. I'm done with them. This is what we're going to do. You can read it right there. Verse 10. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to consume them. I I imagine with fire. And watch what he says at the very end. And I will make you a great nation. Let's start over with you, Moses. Come on. How many of you would have passed this test? I believe it was a test. How many of you would have passed the test? How many of you would have been like, yeah, I'm good with that. I'm so good. Lord, They are ungrateful people. I I wasn't going to say nothing, but since you brought it up, right? Since you brought it up, Lord, I'm kind of sick of them too. They're so ungrateful. We've been struggling with these folks. I mean, we, we brought them out of Egypt, Lord. My sheep were better than them. You know what? It'd be, look, how many of you would have seen it strategic? I can either deal with a a million hard-headed, stiff-necked people, or I can just deal with my family. I'm going to go with my family. Right? I don't know if you guys would have made it if I was Moses. (laughs) I'm just being honest, right? After all, he was the most humble man on earth. But this is why he was... Because he had character, and God tested him, and he says, no, Lord, no. And he gives God three different reasons. He says, what will Egypt say? You brought him out just to kill him in the desert. You made a promise to Abraham. Plus, I love him, Lord. I love him, Lord. No, God. See, humility, it's been said, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I said that slowly because I wanted to sink in. See, it's not, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. It's it's not about me. It's about the people. Isn't that true? Isn't it what Moses was focused on? 
You know what else I find interesting? There's another story in the book of Rome, I mean, in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, where Moses shows this beautiful character that is, that is uh, built on the foundation of humility. And this is what happens. He's having a hard go because there's a lot to this job, leading a million people. And if they're stiff-necked people and they're always having problems with one another, they're going to wear you out, right? And so God says, I do think it's a good idea for you to have some delegation and you need some help. And so I need you to, I need you to pick 70 elders, so to speak. Pick 70 good character men who you can bring to me and I will anoint them with the power of your Holy Spirit. How, much, how many of you know that when God selects someone, he always anoints them, especially when he has a position? This is why every New Testament writer was anointed by the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders so that you could know he's authentic. And what he writes is from the hand of God. That means God is using him as a pen to write. And so those signs and wonders followed those men so that you would know God was with them. And God says, I'm going to show you that I'm with these men. And so he fell upon them in a miraculous way, and they began to prophesy. Come on, how many of you would know that's amazing? They just begin to prophesy and to preach the word of God and proclaim the word of God. And, and who knows if it was foretelling or foretelling, but either way, they were prophesying, and everybody knew this is from God. But there's two men that... When, when they're all back at the camp now, because this happened at the tabernacle, when they're back at the camp, they keep prophesying, two of them. They keep prophesying. There's the story right there. And as they keep prophesying, a young man comes and tells Joshua. Now, who is Joshua to Moses? Joshua is Moses' understudy or protege. He's the one he's bringing up, right? And so he's teaching Joshua all that he knows. And he's, Joshua is Moses' right-hand man. So it's reported to Joshua, these guys are just going for it, and they're causing quite a stir. People are coming and listening, and, and they're gaining some popularity and some notoriety. And I don't know, there's, it's just, it's kind of getting out of hand, Joshua thinks. Now, what do you think he's thinking? I serve Moses, and these guys are kind of causing too much of a stir. What does he think, what do you think he wants Moses to do? Exactly. And so he says, we need to put these guys down, like stop them. What does Moses say? It's right there in verse 29. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for me? Or for my sake, another version says, are you jealous for my position? Are, are, are you thinking that it's about position, son? Watch what he follows it up with. He says, oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. Oh, that I would not be the only prophet. Oh, that all of you would be anointed by the, by the Spirit of God. Come on, do you hear what I'm saying? This is my hope that the whole church would begin to preach, that the whole church would engage the Great Commission, that the whole church would feel a need and a desire to baptize people, the whole church would feel a need and a desire to disciple people, that we would reach Bastrop and go to Austin and from Austin go to Houston and Dallas, and that we would reach who? 
I'm, this ain't about me, and it's not about this place. It's about heaven and Christ returning soon. And the Bible said clearly, this gospel that has been shared with you will be preached in all the earth. Then the end will come. So let's get to the end already. Amen? That's what we're about, and that's what Moses says. You know what? I find the same sentiment in the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is an amazing book. It's my favorite epistle that Paul wrote because it is amazing. And, I, and I'm going to share more about it in the end. Uh, but, but, but watch what he says in, a, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Read it with me. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. Wait, wait, what is he talking about? So Paul is in prison and it's been brought to him the news that there are several, there's these, there's these individuals that are ministering and they have been trying to make it a competition with Paul and they've, they're, they're preaching more and they're getting the word back to him so that he would have this um, weird competitive um, envy raise up in him. And look at what Paul says. I don't care if they're doing it for good reason or bad reason. That's not my issue as long as Christ is preached. And if Christ is preached, then hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And for this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I won't go there. Because ultimately, humility brings character. Joshua and Caleb shows us that it brings strength. Well, what do you mean, Joshua and Caleb? Well, Joshua and Caleb were part of the 12 spies that were selected to go spy out the promised land. Now, I want you to think about this. You're selected as part of the 12. You're from the same group of people that was enslaved in Egypt and have just been released. You've just been released. This is at the very beginning after you've gone into the wilderness and you need a place to live. And so God says, I want you to go check out this new place I have for you. They go in there, and you find what in the land? Giants. Just a small obstacle. Giants. And these giants have built giant walls around their cities. And so what would you be tempted to think? Now, I want you to think about what pride does, because pride puts the onus on who? On yourself. So what did they say? They said, there's no way we can do this. I don't know about you, but I feel like a grasshopper compared to these giants. There's no way in the world. They're warriors. They're, they're more skilled than us. We've been slaves. We've been, now notice what, what Caleb and Joshua do. Notice what they don't do as well. Now, what could they have done? They could have said, hey, guys, we got to rally, guys. We got to rally. We're, we're losing it. And this is what I suggest to you. We may be small, but we're tough. Did they say that? Come on, what kind of speech would you give your family if they're feeling insecure, inadequate, small? What kind of speech do we usually give our children? You're not as bad as you think. <laughs> you're this, you're that, you're, you're just building up pride. Pride has got them in the problem in the first place. No, strength comes from humility. Notice what they did not do. They did not say, yeah, we may not be warriors, but we've been bricklaying, and bricklayers have those Popeye-type forearms. 
And have you seen Popeye? When he starts eating some spinach, he can whip the biggest guy. No, we didn't do any of that nonsense. What did they do? This is not about us. This is about God's promise. And if God promised it, I believe he'll perform it. Because real humility strength comes from faith. And faith is from understanding who your God is. But you'll never understand who he is if you're in the way. And if you keep thinking more of yourself, you need to understand, Lord, I'm limited in every facet of my life. I'm limited in my resources. I'm limited in my sight, in my knowledge, in my ability, in my strength. I'm limited in every aspect, but you are unlimited. And I have learned how to walk with you, Lord. And I have learned that when you proclaim a thing, it shall be. When you proclaim a thing, it shall be. When you proclaim a thing, it shall be. And you specialize in calling the things that aren't as though they were. You tell me that you are for me and not against me. You tell me that I'll be the head and not the tail. You tell me that you are for my family and that you're able to bless to the third, fourth generation and even a thousand. So therefore, Lord, I don't pray because I have some kind of special ability to affect my son's life. No, I pray because I have the authority as his father. I pray because I have the authority as my wife's husband. And when you get involved, because I call down, look, authority means I'm in line. And if I'm in line, then I'm not calling for my authority. I'm calling for the greater authority that has given me the authority to begin with. Therefore, Lord, I bind and I loose in your name, Lord, in your name. Not, well, I'm pretty, I got, I got some juice on my prayers and I got this. And I got, you have, we have nothing. It's God. And so this is what Caleb says to them. He says, let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it, to overcome any obstacle. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to ask spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Notice how many times it was we, 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 I, 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 what we feel. Caleb's the only one that said, doesn't matter. What matters is that God will give it to us. Look at what they said in verse 6. But Joshua, verse 6 of chapter 14. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation and the children of Israel, saying what? The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, notice, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring it to be. That's how they finish. He'll bring it to be. 
So the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, we should therefore go boldly through the throne of grace. But the only way you can get to the throne of grace is in humility. But humility brings a confidence in that it's not you, it's him. It's not you, it's him. And so when you pray, say, Lord, I know you can do all things. And I know that you are for my family. And I know you want my family to succeed. So when I pray for my wife, when I pray for my husband, when I do these things, I come boldly, not in arrogance, but in humble confidence. You know, it's interesting because fear, oh, let me share one. Well, I don't have time. Let's keep going. Fear, according to Holman Illustration Bible Dictionary, is a natural emotional response to a perceived threat to one's security or general welfare. Would you agree with that? It doesn't have to be true, it's perceived. And it ranges in degrees of intensity from anxiety to utter terror. It ranges in degrees. Fear includes, like we said, anxiety, dread, and leads to a loss of courage in the face of unpleasant, dangerous situations or circumstances, right? Anxiety, now watch this, is where it starts, but it can lead to absolute dread. Now watch this. Anxiety is intense, excessive, and persistent worry or fear about everyday situations. And if left unchecked, it will lead to dread. That means when you invite anxiety in and you allow it to persist, it won't be comfortable just staying small. It wants to grow. And Paul says a lot about anxiety in Philippians chapter, uh, excuse me, in, in Philippians, throughout the entire book of Philippians. So if you're struggling with fear, read the book of Philippians. It is your antidote because I truly believe, listen to me very closely, I truly believe Paul knew a thing or two about anxiety. And I'll tell you why he knew, because he lived it. And I'll tell you why I think he lived it, because he knew what it was like to put confidence in himself. And when you try to carry and shoulder those burdens, it's always going to leave you wanting, and it's going to overwhelm you. And that's what the entire book of Philippians is about. This is why he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I've learned to be confident. Confident in what? In God. That he began this good work. He saved me, and he is faithful to complete it. Before, I used to be anxious because I thought it was my job to save myself. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen over here? See, watch what he says. I'm going to take you to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read a good portion of the chapter. Are you ready? Here we go. Watch out for those dogs. Whoa, Paul, tell us what you really think. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. If you're reading the New King James, it says, for those manipulators. What are they manipulating? Why are they dogs? Why are they mutilating the flesh? Because they're Jewish so-called Christians. 
that are telling the Gentiles, the Gentiles don't have any of the Jewish tradition of the law. All they know is they received Christ and they're saved. But they're telling them, you must what? Mutilate your flesh by circumcising yourself as an adult. Hello, men. How many of you would like, yeah, let's do this Christian thing? If I have to cut myself down there, I'm all in. No, no. It's just, so they're saying, hey, if we did it, you got to do it. But you did it at eight years old, eight, eight days old. So, so Paul is saying, watch. Listen to him very closely. It's right there. Because this nonsense is starting to come up again. You see Christians all the time. Well, you got to keep the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath. He says, I will give you rest. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? To, what did Jesus say? I am your rest. This is why we celebrate on Sunday. Now watch this. People say all the time, well, you can't eat this and you can't eat that. And you can't do this and you can't do that. Listen to Paul's words here. For it is we who are the circumcision. He's talking to Gentiles. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. What is he talking about? He's talking about humble confidence, not proud, arrogant confidence. There's a difference. Watch. Are you with me? Watch. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Watch what he starts listing. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, I'm giving you my pedigree. This is the stuff that we used to hold dear. Watch what he says about it. He says, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, that means I was a lawyer of the law. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, watch. Righteousness based on the law, I thought I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. This is where I had my confidence. I consider it lost. For the sake of Christ, watch, he's going to get really emphatic here. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's not a strong enough word. He says, I consider them poop, rubbish, crud. I'm getting close. Some of you Baptists may not like that. He says, I consider it the worst. I don't, I don't. Put any confidence, keep going with me. I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Righteousness does not come from the law. Righteousness comes from Christ. And when I realize it's all by his mercy and his grace, I can't help but be humble. I can't help but be humble and know, Lord, it's not about what I do or what I don't do because the truth of the matter is if you try to live over here and you let the enemy convince you that you've got to be good enough, he's going to steal your confidence. But he's also going to replace it with this silly pride that somehow you are better than somebody else. And therefore, the way you feel good is to look down at others and go, well, at least I'm not like him. Did you hear what 
Manuel did? I never. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already been arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Okay. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You say, Pastor, why did you get all excited about this? Because the, ver- the word of God just, just like, oh. Amen. Man, it just, oh, it just makes me feel like. But, but this is what I really want to say. Paul teaches us how to have this confidence and we're going to need it where we're headed. I'm going to say something that might be alarming to you, but, but please pay attention. We're headed towards persecution. We're headed towards persecution, American church. And if you go, well, I know how to deal with that. I'll just capitulate. You'll be part of the prophecy where the Bible says there will be those that fall away. But to stand firm, you say, how long, Pastor? I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years? Some of you are going, whew, I think I'm old enough I can get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but this is a family series. And we have to prepare our families. And the way you prepare your family, and you say, but Pastor, what is my responsibility? Remember I started with Moses and I went to Joshua Joshua and Caleb were Moses' protégés. And so they did what Moses showed them. And if you can walk in humble confidence, then your children will walk in humble confidence. And we have this beautiful time period right now, beautiful time period, where the writing is on the wall, but there's still enough peace to work on your faith. Work on that faith. How do I work on that faith? Humble yourself. And you make big of God's word. Big of God's word. You humble yourself and you say, no, Lord, I want to learn to walk out in righteousness. Why? Because the time is coming where I may have to, like Paul, say, you know what? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't worry about those who threaten my body. I worry about the one who judges my soul. Amen. I know that God is sufficient and his grace is sufficient for whatever comes my way. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, this isn't the name it, claim it gospel you're preaching? Persecution? Are you kidding me? Wake up, church. God is calling me to prepare his church for his return. And it's not just me. There's a lot of pastors out there that have made a turn. Pay attention to what's happening in the world. 
just like pride is happening and all this crazy stuff is happening, you want to know what else is happening? There is a message that's being heralded right now. Go listen. Just get out there. There are street preachers everywhere now. And they're preaching the gospel message that Christ is returning and that Christians need to gird themselves up with real faith because it's not going to get less complicated. It's going to get more. So I love you, church. Don't freak out. Get some humble confidence in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I can't wait for you to return. But until then, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us walk in humility. And they would, we would remember what you did for us on that cross. With one voice, your children say this morning, thank you for your body that was broken. No, I can't tell. Was I did and your blood that was shed. We love you. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, church. I love you. Have mercy on me.